0: Alrighty, so we are blessed today to have a guest speaker and a younger perspective uh, on the word, but on the topic of uh, identity. Uh, we're blessed to have uh, our dear friend Gabriel Frolic here. Why don't you come up, Gabriel? Gabriel has been studying to be a social studies teacher, but as often is the case when you're a student, you know, you have a theory of what you want to do, and then you start studying for it and start to discover what you actually want to do or not do, Uh, and he's shared that the Lord has been kind of impressing on his heart uh, in the direction of mission work. Um, So he's still moving faithfully in the education process, but now kind of has a vision set in a different trajectory. So we're just going to pray for him briefly, and then be blessed by the word the Lord has given him. So, Father God, we thank you uh, for the gift of the voice uh, and the heart that you've given Gabriel. We thank you for the gift of your word, which you have put on his heart today. Open our ears to hear you speak. Open our eyes to see you move in our presence. And bless our brother today as he speaks your word over us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Okay. Wow, it's working. Okay. So yes, I'm Gabe as Todd explained. I'd just like to take this moment to thank Todd and to thank Sean for giving me the opportunity to speak today. I know it can take a lot of trust to have someone this young come up here and speak. Um, I actually spoke last year. I had a lot shorter hair, so if you don't remember me, that's okay. Um, I'm one of those introverts that stays in their seats or hides in the corner during the time of fellowship. So if you don't know me, it's nice to meet you. Um, I'll explain just a little bit more about me. That's my family right over here. My dad's a beautiful woman, is my mother. Um, And yeah, so I'm studying in Oklahoma to be a social studies teacher. I'm going into my third year this year. Um, But yes, the Lord has placed ministry and missions as a big thing of my heart. I actually had the opportunity this May to lead a trip to Croatia. So that was a great time, but we're just going to hop straight into things today. And I'm going to start off by telling you guys a story about a building. And now, this is no ordinary building, but this is a skyscraper called the Torre Latino Americana. And for the purpose of my tongue and not making myself look like a fool, we're just going to abbreviate that, because it's quite a long name, so we're just going to call it the TL building. And now, the TL building is significant for a number of reasons, and most significant because of its history and how it was created. Um, It was created in the 1950s, in Mexico City. And there were not buildings like it in that time. Um, Mexico City is a tough place to build tall buildings. um, One, because of its soil composition. And secondly, and most importantly, because of their constant um, earthquakes that occur there. And as you know, earthquakes and tall buildings usually are not a good mix. So this was a huge feat to conquer until two brothers, named the Zivarot brothers, came along. And they made it their sole purpose in life to construct this skyscraper. But they knew that no building is greater than its foundation. Just like they talk about in the Bible, the house built on the sand was knocked over by the waves, but the house that was built on the rock stood firm. So they spent years and years researching foundations, researching designs, testing out designs, um, until it finally came the time where they could put it into action and this building could be built. But this building still needed to be tested. So the true test of this tower's strength came during the devastating 1957 earthquake measuring 7.9 on the Richter scale. And I don't know if you know too much about earthquakes, but that's a a pretty gnarly earthquake, 7.9. So while countless other structures succumbed to the seismic forces, the TL building stood tall, defying expectations. You can see all the wreck around it. It's kind of standing like a landmark, a monument. And yet, an even greater challenge arose on September 19, 1985, when a massive magnitude 18.1 earthquake struck Mexico City, wreaking havoc on the city's downtown area and surrounding buildings. Despite the destruction, the TL building remained unscathed, firmly round- rooted in its unyielding foundation. And as I said, this building's pretty significant to the people in Mexico City. It stands out tall amongst all the other buildings. And to me, the thing that stands out the most in this story is a time that was spent building the foundation, the years looking into it, the research that was done, the meticulous designs made to it so that it could stand firm and withstand an earthquake. And you may be thinking to yourself today, they gave this kid a chance to speak in church and he's teaching us about buildings. What on earth is he doing? But some of you have probably caught on, there's a greater meaning to this. Although this is a true story, and it's quite remarkable that they could build such a tall building, it's a metaphor. And that metaphor is what it looks like to build our lives, our foundation rooted in Christ, to have our identity, the center of who we are in him. Because there are gonna be earthquakes in this world. There are gonna be hard things that try and knock us down. But if we have him as our foundation, we won't fall. So quite a severe segue right here, but I really like watching YouTube, and I really like um, watching street interviews specifically. And I really like the ones that specifically happen in LA, they go around Hollywood Boulevard and they ask people the simplest of questions like, how many states are there in the US? And just to make sure that we're all on the same page here, there are 50 states, so no one can feel like an outlier, but they give like the most ridiculous answers sometimes. And so if I was to walk around the beautiful, safe, clean, not super hot streets of Reading and ask people the question, what do you identify with? Here are some common answers that I think they would say. Some would say, identify with my country. We have some very patriotic people here, people that are proud of their country, and then people on the other end of the spectrum. Some people would say, I identify with my culture, the customs and traditions that have been passed down through the generations of my family. Some would say my sports team. That's a big one. I have a story later in the sermon about that. Um, Some would say, I identify with my gender. Are we more than just our gender and our sexual identity? Some would say their occupation, I identify with what I work to do, the things I'm trying to create. And others would say their talents and their hobbies. And then there would be the select few, which I'd like to imagine would be our church body because we spent um, a whole sermon series talking about identity. And they'd say, my identity is in Christ and who he says I am. And yes, I would applaud you because that is the right answer. And that is the textbook church answer. But I'd follow up with another question. And that question is, how has that changed your life? Because if we're being honest, there's these terms and phrases that are thrown around in Christian ch- circles and churches which have instrumental, mo- instrumental value, that have so much importance, that like change everything. Like the phrase, Jesus loves you. I mean, if that doesn't change our lives, I don't know what else will. Phrases like, you're a child of God, that my identity is rooted in Christ. And if we're not careful, we can look at these things and we know that they're the right answer. So when people ask them, what's your identity? You can say, my identity is in Christ. But if that hasn't changed the way that you see your life and the way that you live your life, it really means nothing It becomes a blanket statement. So, as we've been talking about identity the past few weeks, um, Todd has talked about what God has said is our identity, what the Bible says about our identity. He's talked about that we are not just good, but we are very good creation and that we are cherished. He has said that we have value and worth. Our value is not stagnant, it is not trivial, it is not fragile, but it's treasured by God. And last week, this was not coordinated, but he ended on John 15, um, talking about that verse. And that just happens to be what I'm basing my sermon on today. Another coincidence, in my Bible reading today, just by chance, John 15 was the next one that came up. So make of it what you will. So when Jesus died and he rose again, um, right before the Great Commissioning, he was talking to Peter, and I'm going to read in John 21 because this kind of ties all the ends together. He says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And see there how he asked him three times if he loved him because he denied him three times. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying that by death, he would glorify God. And that when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. I think this is beautiful. Because if you don't know, Peter actually went on to live out his life sharing the gospel and the good news of what Jesus did, and eventually died a martyr for his sake, um, laying down his life for Christ's name. And had it not been all that he went through, had it not been that denial process, that earthquake that happened, the Lord would not have shaped him into the man that he was later in life, where um, he said, another will gird you and carry you, and he would not have been able to lay down his life the way he did. So God continues to use us and shape us and form our identity throughout his walk with him. And I'll give you a personal example in my own life. Um, I don't know if many of you know, but I grew up as a missionary kid in Malaysia from ages 6 to 16, and I love Malaysia. I hold it dear to my heart. Um, I love the food. It's amazing. I was really enjoying there. I loved the people, the community we had. But I was also excited to move back to the United States um, for a number of reasons, and I had a bunch of expectations. My first expectation was... I was expecting to move to the US and live in a nice house. you know. In Malaysia, we live right on the equator, and it's in the tropics, so it's super humid. So every night, we didn't have AC in my house, by the way, so every night I'd wake up in like a pool of sweat, and it just wasn't a nice situation. Um, There was like wallpaper coming off of our wall. We had lizards on the wall, which I was actually fine with because they ate all the bugs. But then we also had rats in our roof that would make a bunch of noise and walk on the floors, and we'd have to bring in our dog to exterminate them. So I was excited to move to, a, I say nice house, just like a nice American house with AC. Um, I can't imagine not living in AC here in Reading. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was looking forward to that. And we had a house lined up that checked all our boxes. The second one, I was expecting for my family to move to the United States and make a little bit more money. Because how many of you know, as missionaries, you're doing the work of the Lord, but you're not being paid the greatest. So <laughs> I, was just, I was looking forward to like a little bit more luxury, some nicer things. And thirdly, I was expecting to come here, go to school, make friends as you do, and play on a soccer team. Because as I said, soccer is important in my life.
0: And immediately
1: when we moved to the US, all three of those things fell through. We had that house lined up. That whole situation capitulated. And my family ended up moving into our friend's basement. And my sister and I lived in a wine cellar. Um, every morning, I would wake up to like people doing backflips above me. <laughs> um, um, It was just a small, tight space. We did have a bathroom down there, luckily. But every time you stood up, you'd hit your head on the roof. You had to sit down in the shower. And it would constantly flood this basement. And we ended up living there for a year, almost a year and a half, which was very difficult. And then secondly, as I was expecting us to start making more money once we came to the United States, it turns out that going straight from the missions field to the U.S. is a hard hiring process. Um, We we weren't getting employed for my family, so we weren't getting paid. We were living in a basement, and I was not making friends at my school. I was playing soccer, but I hated it because of all the other things going on in my life. And it became so bad that I started to go through a little bit of depression. Some days I missed a lot of school that year because I was just so sad. Like, I couldn't get out of bed some mornings. I couldn't sleep at night because I was thinking about Malaysia, and then when I actually did sleep, I was dreaming about Malaysia. And it was just a really hard time in my life and my family's life, but God always wins, and he always has the final victory. So, after all of this, my family had God in the house. A year and a half later, that ticked all our boxes that we live in now, are raising our family of puppies. Um, Secondly, my dad got a job, which was very helpful. And then thirdly, I had switched schools and was making a bunch of friends. But those aren't the things that stand out to me through that process. Um, The things that really stood out for me is what the Lord did internally with my family. Being in that tight environment, you can't really hide from each other in that basement. So he brought a lot of healing to our relationships. He brought us closer. And personally, in my life, um, basically everything had been stripped away in my life. I was down to the bare bone. And to be honest, I didn't have a personal relationship with Jesus. I was living off of my parents' faith um, I said that I knew him, but he was really a stranger to me. But God took away all of those things, and although it was painful, he used that to direct me and point me towards him. And had he not done that, I would not be speaking here today. I would not be going to the college that I'm going to. I would not even want to go into missions, because why would I want to go to missions if you don't make a lot of money? Um, but it was through that process of pruning where he was taking those things away that he used it to form me and shape me and shape my family into the people that he wanted us to be. So there are going to be earthquakes in this world. We live in a fallen world. We can't avoid them. There are going to be hard things that try and drag you down, that try and take your attention. But that's why it's so important that we abide in him so that we can stay rooted in our identity and who he says that we are so that he can use these moments to shape us into the people that he wants us to shape us. And now my third point is great is his love. You know, the reason why we can gather here today, the reason why um, we can talk about identity, the reason that we have identities, the reason that we're even alive on this planet is because of his love. I can't stress this enough. There's nothing that we have done to deserve his love. We're constantly falling short and placing things above him, and yet he still offers that love. It's not just a certain kind of love. It's It's the fathership. It says, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all these things I heard from my Father, and I've made known to you. And I really like this part. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command to you, that you love one another. So we're not just servants of God, but we're friends. We're his family. He calls us children of him. And we didn't choose him, but he chose us, and that's the love of a father. Um, there's so many times that um, you walk away, so many times that you do stuff, but he's there with you and he's pursuing you. And I'm brought back to the story that we keep on bringing up to church this summer, and that is the story of the prodigal son. You know, the prodigal son turned his back on his father, basically declared him dead, took his inheritance, and went off and lived the life that he wanted to live. But when that didn't work out, he came back. He was expecting to be a servant of his father, to live in shame, for his father to disgust him, to hate him. But when he came back, his father didn't just wait for him. His father ran to him and embraced him. And he said, my son was lost, but now he is found. And that's, that's us. We walk away from our father all the time. We don't just do it once. We do it many times throughout our lives, walking towards those things that are distracting us. But every time we come back, He's not just waiting for us, but He's running to us and embracing us. And that's a crazy, radical kind of love. That's the love that changes everything. And I just felt led as we are talking about how we're children of God to close on what it means to be a child of God and what are some of the lies that we could still be believing. That's kind of small, but I'll read it for you. Um, The orphan feels alone, lacks a vital daily intimacy with God, and is full of self-concern. But the child of God has a growing assurance that God is really my loving Heavenly Father. The orphan is anxious, anxious overfelt needs, relationships, money, and health. I'm all alone and nobody cares. But the child of God trusts that the father has a growing confidence in his loving care, is being freed up from worry. The orphan lives on a succeed, such fail basement. Um, I said basement. I was talking about basement earlier. Basis. And they have a performance mindset, thinking they have to prove something to God. But the child of God is learning to live in daily conscious partnership with God, learning to abide in him and build him as their foundation. The orphan feels condemned, guilty, and unworthy um, before God and others, but the child of God feels loved, forgiven, and totally accepted because Christ's merit really clothes him. The orphan has little faith, lots of fear, and thinks that they have to do everything alone. But the child of God has a daily working trust in God's sovereign plan for her life as a loving, wise, and best, and believes God is good, and that God will continue to shape you and form you. And as I read these things... I am brought back to the question that I said at the beginning of the sermon. When I asked you guys, sorry, this is very confusing. When I asked you guys the question, how has Christ as your identity changed your life and how you think? I really meant it, and I want to challenge you today. Are there still some lies that you believe about your identity, um, that you believe that you're not good enough, you're not worthy of Christ's love, um, you're just finding it hard to believe that these things that the Bible has said is true. Um, are there places where you need to accept the fullness of God's love? Because God's love is greater than those lies. God love. God's love covers everything. It takes care of you. And when we're focused on God, when we accept that love, then we're able to recenter ourselves, and he's able to shape us. So what greater way than to celebrate his love than to take communion? Um, I really like us today as we've been talking about what he's done for us, the identity that he's given us, um, to focus on the love that he's given us and that we can accept today. Um, Jesus dying on the cross was the greatest act of love in the history of history. So the way that communion works is we'll go down the aisles, you'll come up, take the elements, go back around the side and into your rows, and then we'll say a prayer together and take of the elements. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that even when we didn't choose you, that you chose us, that you've given us an identity and that we can walk with you and abide in your love. Thank you so much, Lord. You guys can take of the elements. Blessing over you guys before we leave. So, Lord, thank you so much for these people, Lord. I pray that you would empower them to walk to who you have called them to be, Lord, that They would not lose focus of you through all the things that happen, Lord, and you would continue to shape them and build them to who you want to be. In your mighty name I pray, amen. Um, We'll have some people up here for prayer. If you want prayer, whether it's an identity thing or other things, we're here for you. Thank you guys so much.